0: You're listening to the Lawyer Lifestyle Podcast with Chicago attorney Dave Scriven-Young. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 230 of the Lawyer Lifestyle Podcast for June 16th, 2020. My name is Dave Scriven-Young, an attorney from Chicago, Illinois, and I'll be your host. This podcast takes you on a daily journey to discover key principles in the areas of marketing, sales, and leadership for attorneys. Today, we're introducing a new segment called Legal Power Players, which focuses on interviews with leaders in the legal community, especially in the areas of marketing, sales, and leadership for attorneys. Today's interview is with Brett Tremblay. He's the founder of the Trembley Law Firm, a franchise and business law firm in Miami. The firm has grown from one attorney in 2011 to 10 attorneys and 20 employees, representing some of the largest businesses in the eastern United States. Brett is also the founder of Get Staffed Up, which is a virtual assistant staffing company that liberates lawyers with incredible offshore talent. It was great to have this interview with Brett. Hope you enjoy it. We talk about mindset. We talk about uh, delegation. We also talk about how to grow your law firm. Hope you enjoy this interview with Brett Tremblay. So, Brett, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Dave. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Um, so the, the one first thing I wanted to ask you about is, um, so you're, you're younger than me. You graduated in uh, 2008, right, from University of Miami?
1: Yep, oh, 08.
0: So, um, and I understand that you started the firm, your firm in 2011. And I guess um, I, I wondered your feelings about uh, starting a law firm as uh, a young attorney and how, how that came about.
1: I got really good hands-on experience early on. So I was in court almost from day one. I was at a small firm in South Miami and I got to do a few trials and a lot of hearings and evidentiary hearings and summary judgment hearings. And I felt that I had a very good grasp of what needed to be done preparing a case for trial. And so in my case, it was just time. I had been at the firm I was with for three years in law school and about three years after, and I wasn't going anywhere anytime fast, and I felt like I was in a rut, and the stars aligned. I, I didn't have many clients at all, and I didn't have any nest egg to fall back on, and all those things scared me enough to really hustle and try to make it happen. So Of course, 10 years of experience is nice. But that's that's a long time that you're waiting, working for someone else. If your dream is to be your own boss and to have your own law firm and to do things the way you want, you know, I I thought three years was plenty.
0: So uh, I think a lot of people sort of uh, feel like, uh, you know, like their career may be stalled at a firm and um, they don't have many clients, but um they feel maybe they don't feel like making a, a jump to a solo practice is best for them so they get headhunter head calls and this was me um you know i was at a larger firm and um you know after a year and a half i pretty much knew that you know the firm i was at was not for me and so basically the first headhunter call that called me you know i jumped on it and i did my interview and i moved to another firm but i wonder sort of like what was the impetus for you starting your own practice as opposed to, you know, finding somewhere else that, you know, being an employee somewhere else where it might've been a better fit.
1: I that that's a really good question. Most people do not ask me that question. And there are, there are, and I hope the, the other attorneys at my firm, we have 10 now, I hope they're all at a place where they feel they, they enjoy it. They like coming to work. Although for the past three months, coming to work means going to a different part of your house because we're all working remotely right now. And, and we, we will be for a while. And so you're right. It's not that if you're unhappy, you have to go out on your own, you can find another firm, which aligns with, with your goals and your vision. Um, for me, I grew up very entrepreneurial. My mom tells a story that when I was in first grade, we walked out of school with Cokes and candy, me and my older brother. And she asked my older brother, where did you guys get the money? You know, here he is in fourth grade and he points to his kid brother in first grade and says, Brett bought him for us. And um, my, my father and grandfather owned a small business until my, my father sold it. Um, and I just think that I always knew I would work for myself. I just didn't know what that would be. In fact, even though I went to law school, I wasn't convinced I was going to be an attorney. I was just not ready to, quote unquote, be a real adult in the real world and I thought three years of law school would, would be fun and a good education and hanging out in Miami for three years would be a lot of fun. So um, just personally for me, I wanted to do things my way. I learned a lot from my first the and, and only law firm I worked for. And when I say a lot, I learned a lot of, of what I knew was wrong and what I didn't want to do and how I things weren't looking the way they should. And, you know, I couldn't see myself going to work for someone else and trying to to implement things that I knew were the right way to do or that I thought and, and being told, well, you're, you're just an associate. So, you know, bide your time. And I I didn't want to go the route of working seven years to be a partner. I I really just felt like, you know, if, if I don't want to listen to anyone, then I'll put it all on my own shoulders. So that's what I did.
0: Interesting. So I just want to unpack some, some of what you said. Um, You talked about, you know, some of the mistakes that you saw, you know some of the other firms, and maybe the firm that you were at making that you wanted to improve um, at, at. You know, with your own firm, what were some of those mistakes that you thought, or that you felt that, or you saw other people making?
1: You know, res- respectfully to to my previous firm, a lot of small firms rob Peter to pay Paul, and they're constantly underquoting themselves to get the case. And then they don't know what their actual metrics are and how they pay their staff and how they actually can can turn a profit. And profit is not a dirty word. Profit is the word you have to have if you're gonna have a healthy business so that you can continue to pay people what they deserve. And it was a it was a constant underquote to get them in the door and then a week later send them a bill for three times as much than the retainer amount. So you kind of setting people up for failure. Uh there, there were no measurements of what the paralegals and the attorneys were actually doing. I was just kind of put in a, in, a, in an office on my own and wasn't monitored. So even myself, I, I, I was cutting corners. You know, if I'm being just very honest with myself, that's how I felt. I was in a rut. It was like, I don't know what progress I'm making. I'm never giving progress reports. I'm never told what I do is good, bad, or indifferent. I'm, my time isn't even monitored. I was just floating out on an island and and, frankly working a lot but then being told why aren't you bringing in more business and my response was kind of like well when am I supposed to bring in more business I'm not even from this town I don't know anybody and and I was never told that's what I was supposed to do I'm an associate is that what you want me to do so the communication wasn't clear and as I've I mean I read a lot of books now Dave and I study and I join groups and I have multiple coaches and all of the things that I've learned about team building and, and dynamics and, and, and vision and culture and core values, they, they apply across the board and law firms don't implement those, those things enough. And, you know, there's just so much to learn about running a business. So if you want to be a lawyer, definitely go work for a firm and just do a really good job at being a good lawyer, because that's what you want to do. And that's fine. If you're going to start your own firm, You have to change from a lawyer to a business owner and a networker and a rainmaker and you know 15 other hats that you have to learn how to delegate then quickly. And you know, that kind of brings us towards the delegation point. But if we had a two two hours to talk today, I could walk through you know my journey in those steps. And I'm not the only one that's done it, but I've I've made so many mistakes, Dave, along the way. But but you have to turn from a business owner. You know, from a lawyer, that's the main point. But then, as the business owner, you still cannot do everything yourself. And that's something I really struggled with the two first two years of running my firm.
0: Well, as you know, this is uh, you know my podcast is based on leadership, marketing, and sales. So just starting with sort of with the leadership end and and you discussed uh, delegation. And I know that obviously, you know you, if you started on your own, but then you've grown to, I understand 10 attorneys and, and 20 employees. Um, how, do you, how do you use delegation within your firm to, to get things done more efficiently?
1: There's a phrase called delegate and elevate. And if you read, I mean, there's so many good books on this topic, but they talk about taking the lowest level activities that you do and giving them to somebody who's maybe their entry level. Maybe they just graduated from high school. Maybe they just graduated from college. Delegation does not need to be a dirty word because there are people that are, that are less experienced or younger or, or fresher or changing careers that are happy to take those tasks and learn them from you. So when I started my firm, I was my own bookkeeper, my own receptionist, my own fax sender, because it was 2011, we were still sending faxes. I was my own um, intake coordinator, my own marketing coordinator, on and on and on. And I really struggled the first year and a half, and I probably haven't admitted it enough. But there, were, there was one time I, that I did say, you know, can I do this? Can I, make, can I make this work on my own? And sometimes high achievers like us that went to law school and, and we've always been successful, if things don't happen for us overnight, we think that's not right. I'm used to being very successful overnight or just learning something quickly and applying it. And so, yeah, there are lonely times. Leadership is lonely since you brought up leadership, especially when you're building a business and, and other people are telling you don't do that, You know, go work for someone else. But my first two years, I tried to do everything myself because I was so afraid of, of the money part of it. I, I didn't have any money in the account. Like I mentioned before, I didn't have a nest egg. I was in student loan debt, credit card debt, And I thought, well, I need X amount of dollars in my bank account before I can hire somebody. That was my mindset at the time. Tony Robbins says the 80% of the hang up in any business is the mindset of the owner. I would argue it's 99% of the hang up because how you view things dictates your actions. So I just had this made up belief that I, I had to come up with money first before I could hire someone instead of saying if I hire someone for $15 an hour, for 10 hours a week even, I just have to come up with $150. Well, if you stop doing the activities that you can only make $10 an hour and you just bill one more legal hour, that's $300 you just made, right? And the the math makes sense, but you're so in your own head and afraid of failure of hiring someone and having to fire someone. For me, I know everyone's not like me, but a lot of people are. The, the fear of failure was, was huge, and it, but I didn't know that until I tried to open my mind and read books. And, and I know I'm going on and on here, but it's because that I just really tell young attorneys it's okay to fail. That's how you learn. Hire someone, it doesn't work out, let them go. But don't let that dictate. You know, you meet a lot of older attorneys. Oh, I tried that and it didn't work. So it's a 60 year old guy, one paralegal, and that's how he's been for, for 25 years. It's like there is more out there for you if you learn the art of leadership through delegation, giving people tasks that are going to make your life easier and better so you can keep rising yourself up to doing more and more high-level activities.
0: And let let me ask you, because I know you also run a a virtual staffing company, and so I'm curious, um, I think a lot of people are are hesitant to uh, use a virtual assistant as opposed to you know, having somebody in house. I mean, obviously now, and we'll get to the remote uh, you know, working situation in a little bit, but we're getting used to, I think, using an assistant that isn't in our space. But I wonder sort of like, you know, what what tips do you have uh, to get over sort of that fear of, of using a virtual assistant? And uh, what are your tips, best tips for using a virtual assistant?
1: Yeah, well, thanks to the coronavirus, we really don't have to sell this point much anymore. <laughs> you know, it, it used to be we were trying to convince not everybody, but, but, but attorneys, it's okay to use somebody that's not in your office and suddenly everybody gets it. So we make the joke that coronavirus sped up our business by 10 years. But the idea is that just like you and I are, are communicating very well virtually, it, it's the same thing. In fact, sometimes it's easier with, with a virtual assistant because they can't walk across the hall and knock on your door every five minutes and interrupt you. How do I do this? What about this? And, and you know, there's pros and cons to everything, but you, you set a schedule every morning, you, you check in, you give tasks to delegate, and then the next day you ask the progress on those tasks, you give feedback and rinse and repeat. So having a set schedule with any employee, but especially your assistants for for checking in and making sure they're doing what they need to do is a really effective strategy for making sure that you stay on task and that you're making good use of any assistant, but especially a virtual assistant.
0: And how do you sort of, you know, with the coronavirus, everything that's happening, we're all working remotely. I know Florida is probably reopening to some extent, um, but how have you been able to maintain your culture maintain um just your your ability to oversee what your team is doing what your attorneys are doing just to make sure that they're busy uh, that they're checking in how, how have you done that um, in this new environment
1: so get staffed up is a virtual staffing company for lawyers by lawyers and we're 100 percent virtual every morning at 907 we have what we call huddles so everybody gets on Zoom and we've got 10 people on Zoom and we all talk about what our big thing is that morning so that we're, we're sort of, you know, eat that frog, as the book says, um, or The One Thing, which is another great book by Gary Keller. And, we, and then we talk about what else we're doing throughout the day and what we need help with. And we have weekly meetings with all departments and daily check-ins. And so we're very regimented in how we communicate. The culture virtually is almost as strong as it is for my law firm in person because we have implemented the same types of, of touch points and check-ins and interaction. And we use software instead of emailing back and forth. We have kind of like Slack, if you will, but internally. So we're communicating on that all day long. And anytime we really need to have meetings, we jump on Zoom. I probably have more FaceTime with with people it get staffed up from when I need them than sometimes at the law firm, because at the law firm, you know, we've got multiple levels in one building, and, and there'll be a week where I don't see a paralegal in the litigation department, for example. But in, within the litigation department, every at the law firm every morning, same thing. We have huddles, and we have check-ins, and we have our, our system and our structure for how we maintain our core values our core values are hung up on our wall and we give core value shout outs every morning we have weekly department meetings and then every friday a, a firm wide meeting to make sure that we do all have FaceTime every week because as you get above 20 people it does start to get tough yeah,
0: absolutely and and let me turn quickly to uh sort of the marketing end of things because um, you know you talked about earlier you know you have to you need to switch from thinking of yourself as a lawyer more like a business owner and a rainmaker. Um, and that's what I think, you know, people who listen to my podcast are really interested in um, tips on how to grow their practice, right? How to, how to make sure that their time is um, filled up with clients as opposed to uh, sitting around and, and hoping and dreaming that their phone will ring. So what are some of the things that you do to market your practice to ensure um, that you stay busy
1: Yeah, that's a very good point Dave because what a lot of people do is they'll get some energy and they'll maybe join a networking group and they'll start Sending emails or or you know a few email newsletters and then two months later You don't hear from that person again, and you're like what you know what happened to that guy or that girl. It's because people Market 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 and then they get in some work, but now they're so busy doing the work They don't have time to market so now you get your peaks and valleys that that Is the life of a business owner and it can be very frustrating. So one of, one of the really good things we did and this is, you know, get staffed up. So we have virtual clerical assistants. We have administrative virtual assistants and marketing virtual assistants. And when you hire an in-person marketing assistant, it's a very, you know, in the U S it can be a very expensive endeavor and, and it's hard to constantly justify that person's salary with, with business coming in when you have one virtually and all of our people are full time by the way but the you know taking advantage of the different economies you're paying about a third of what you would pay someone here in the US you have a lot more wherewithal to not have the peaks and valleys of the the marketing because you have somebody that you're delegating your marketing activities to consistently every day every week doing projects what are those projects because you know you asked email newsletters social media Coffee meetings, lunch meetings. Have the person fill up your calendar. There's a book called Never Eat Alone by. Um, actually, I, I forget who, who who did the book. I think it might be Simon Sinek, but. Um,
0: I'm looking because I think I actually have that book uh, here. I totally recommend it. I think it's great.
1: Yeah. So you know, but just the title alone is kind of makes sense. You don't even need to read the whole book. You know, don't eat alone because the the, the theory is um, every time you you um, have a lunch by yourself, you're missing an opportunity to have a touch point with somebody. And, and, and look, I mean, that's common sense, right? I don't, I don't do that every day, but for the most part, I, I am out you know, doing coffee or lunch with people. You're just trying to build your network and do it consistently and not, not much time in the day. When you don't have a marketing assistant, this goes back to delegation, or a personal assistant that can do marketing for you, or a receptionist, and if your phone's not that busy, don't use an an, an a, you know outsourced reception company because you're going to pay them a thousand bucks a month anyway. For not much more than that, you can get a full time person offshore answering your phone, like a lot of our clients do. And when they're not on the phone, they can do you know email management and calendar management and set up you know do some email marketing for you and and set up and set up calls for you and 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 send referrals for you and they can take so much off your plate you're going to pay for that person with a few hours per week of of actual billable legal work and you know that again comes back full circle to delegation but marketing specifically you can't turn it on turn it off turn it on turn it off cuz that's when you get your your peaks and valleys and it's really it can be frustrating as a business owner to get a lot of work but then look down the road 3 months and say oh man I, I know it's coming in three months because I don't have any new cases and I haven't had any consultations in two weeks
0: well the, the, the vir- using a virtual marketing assistant is really interesting to me um, because yeah, you know, we all I think feel like we don't have enough time and this sort of would open up uh, a lot more time for me to, to do a lot of other things than I would like to do uh, but my question is so if you're having somebody you know uh, you know do email newsletters or, you know, make phone calls on your behalf. Do you develop a script for this person or how, how is, how exactly do you delegate something like that to uh, an assistant?
1: Yes. So there is some prep time. You got to develop a script. You can have um, some people call it gas calls, you know, give a, you know what call and, and have three or four questions. You know, how, how is business since the last time we talked? Or if you're a family law attorney, you know, how is your life? Now that that you've been divorced for two years and we and we haven't worked together, oh my gosh! I'm so glad you called. One of my friends just asked me the other day if I needed, you know, or, or who, who I use or or you know, do I know a, a family law attorney? Um, so there's some prep time and everything you do, you cannot abdicate marketing. You cannot hire anyone in the U.S. or otherwise and say, "Here, do all my, do all my marketing." That doesn't work. You're the business owner. It's your message. It's your vision you will have to spend some time developing a scorecard and, and scripts. And you can have canned emails that, that any email system will save that says, you know, this is the email to send to somebody that I'm trying to meet lunch with when you're, you're going to have to teach them to use your CRM and, and to create different tags for where you met people so that you know how to follow up with certain people. But once you get those things in place, then anytime you have an idea, you have somebody to say, Hey, I, you know, here's a new project. I need a flyer developed and I need this email to go out on Friday. When you don't have a marketing assistant, and, and you and I know this, Dave, every business owner knows this. You have an idea and you don't know what to do with it. It's like you put it on the, the proverbial shelf, which is just somewhere in your brain, or maybe you write it down and you think, I hope I have the time to get back to that someday. So our our marketing virtual assistants are 18,50 a month. That's a flat fee. You pay that to us. That is a full-time employee, 40 hours a week. So 48,12,16, let's say 160 hours a month. And to pay for that person, you just need to bill just over five um, hours at $300. And, and most of us are, are over that at this point. So the five hours for 160, it's really a no brainer The reason this virtual staffing company exists is because we see a lot of business owners that want to grow, but it is daunting to continually hire people. So what if you can hire somebody really good, really energetic, very loyal, they just happen to live in a different country from you. But with technology, we can use those people. And the traditional model is use someone in the Philippines, but, you know, send them a bunch of work and then while you're sleeping they do work so the next morning you check their work that's not the model anymore the model is let's find somebody working in your nine to five nine to six right they can be in your time zone or not because we do have people from the Philippines but they work the graveyard shift they're gonna work just for you they're gonna be part of your team part of your culture Um, best part is we're the actual legal employer so you pay us and we pay them but they are only working for you 40 hours a week And again, the the cost savings are tremendous. So now you can start to take some risks and grow, whereas so many people like I was are just afraid to pull that trigger and hire somebody because they don't know how they can pay for that person.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, I I think this is a great time to to end our discussion, but um, I did want my listeners to... Have a contact for you, either a social media or a phone number or an email. What's the best way if someone wanted to reach out to you in terms of your firm or your staffing company?
1: Absolutely. Thank you. So it's www.getstaffedup.com. That's just how it's spelled, G-E-T, staffed, S-T-A-F-F-E-D, up.com. That's really the best way. We've got web forms all over the website to contact us. Um, Instagram, you know, at get staffed up. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. And we are, are starting to pick up a lot of traction in the legal community, which is a lot of fun. Very happy to field phone calls and answer people's questions. And as we say, help lawyers delegate their way to freedom.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. Thanks for having
1: me, Dave. Really appreciate right. it.